Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Yeah, so Joe Biden's campaign's in a lot of trouble right now. A lot of trouble. You know how I know he's in a lot of trouble? Because he's bringing in Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, the big guns. The big guns herself. Man, this is so bad. And so bad, by the way, for Saturday Night Live after that botched skit. Making fun of, um, I don't really know what they were trying to make fun of. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. There's an excellent piece, too, I want to get to uh, that uh, executive producer, Matt DeSantis, sent my way from Niall Ferguson, the treason of the intellectuals, reminding people about universities and what they were pushing in Germany uh, during the Nazi era. So I'll get to that as well. But, you know, there was an interesting point that I think we have to think about, and that is what do college campuses do? Right? I mean, like, what, what is their primary function? Is the primary function to really give the kids an education? Is it to give them a degree? Or is it to indoctrinate them into believing something about America? And also government itself, too. You know, a lot of these universities, like, they're, it's a revolving door, you know, between the government and the universities, and back and forth and back and forth. And they'll, they'll serve in government, and then they'll go lecture at a college. You'll become a president of a college. You'll be back at the government. They go back and forth. They're visiting scholars, and, they're all, and, and the notion, for example, of, say, a college, right? Like rising up and saying, hell no to the Section 702 reforms of the FISA Act, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, because we want to have uh, privacy, and we want to preserve the Constitution and liberty. That notion does not exist anymore. College campuses become places where people turn around and pledge their fealty to government. And believe that government is there for them, to protect them, do good things for them, and keep them safe, and make the world a better place. There, there's, no, there's no challenging government on college campuses. The government is always good. I mean, after all, the government's paying for the show. Think about it. Uh, here's a great example, right? You're, if your kid's going to college right now, your kid is looking at trying to get student loan money, and they will get student loan money, depending on income and everything else. But the money will be there. 
one way, shape, or form, the money's there. So you don't have to worry. Colleges don't have to worry about being held accountable in the private sector. They don't have to worry about giving a good product. They know, regardless, whatever they charge, whatever they do, somebody's going to want a seat at that college. I mean, Harvard's a great example. Despite the fact of what happened, Penn, Harvard, there will still be people who want to go there and get a degree from there and pay whatever it costs to go there. There will, they, they, that, will, that will not change. And they don't have to worry. It's not like they have to worry about, well, how are people going to afford this if we raise tuition to $95,000 a year? It doesn't matter. The government money is going to follow. The government, the government money is going to follow. And no doubt, no doubt that will happen. In addition to that, these colleges get government money. In addition to that, these colleges often double as the, the vocal arm of the party in power. I'll give you a great example of this. Polling, modern day polling. Let's take the New Jersey governor's race when King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness, was going up against Jack Chitterelli. I still remember the conversation that I had with a friend of mine that weekend, a very smart friend who's a numbers guy, an analyst. And he said, Murphy has a 99% chance of winning this race. And I said, no, he doesn't. He said, look at the polling. And I said, come on, you're talking about polling that comes from Colleges, Monmouth University poll, the Rutgers Eagleton poll. These are state universities, fairly Dickinson University. These are state colleges who put out polling data. And yeah, shocking. They show the governor is going to have has a massive lead and, and people stayed home. And Jack Chitterelli almost won. He lost by two and a half percent. He almost won. But if 400,000 Republicans had come out, he'd be governor right now. But they all looked at those polling numbers and they said the guy can't win, so they didn't even bother coming out to vote. See, the, the little game that's played here is done deliberately as well. And colleges are also, of course, the, the place where your children are indoctrinated to learn and appreciate certain things. Like, for example, if your daughter is on the swim team and she's triggered by the fact that there's a biological male in her locker room or triggered by the fact that a biological male beat her in a sport, what is she told? She's told, suck it up, buttercup, you're the problem. He's not the problem. You're not, you're the problem. You're the problem. You need to deal with this. You need to get a grip on this. Now, the anti-Semitism that you've seen on college campuses for a long time, you have noticed on college campuses, they have decided what you can say and what you can't say. And when all this came out into focus and people turned around and said, you know what, these, these places are not actually the bastions of freedom of speech. They, they're programming people. They're, they're allowing what speech is, is, is acceptable. They're deciding these things. The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, every year they do their analysis of the places that have the worst records on freedom of expression. And as you can imagine, the biggest offenders on that list happen to be places like Penn and Harvard. And MIT and places like that. These, these are the places that have absolutely, without a doubt, they are the worst offenders of destroying the ability to have freedom of expression. What they do tolerate, though, is some pretty vile, nasty stuff. I mean, if, if, the, if the Skokie Nazis were walking around on Harvard's campus, Harvard would not put up with it. If, the, if, if a conservative Christian group was wanting to march on campus, they probably wouldn't put up with it. If that group was trying to say that, that transgenderism is a, is, a, is a phony concept, men are men, women are women, and that's the end of it. 
Harvard would call that bigoted and would shut that group down. But when you see what they tolerate on campuses, it tells you a lot. So what I mean, when people consistently shut down speech, the speech that they allow goes under a microscope. And you look at that and you say, well, how come you allow this and not that? How come if if a student misgenders somebody, they'll get kicked off campus, but if a student says, you know, death to the Jews, you'll question whether or not that's actually bullying. Here's Bill Maher the other night. He was on with uh, Greg Lukianoff. Greg's been on the show before. He's the president of FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, based right here in Philadelphia. And, you know, Lukianoff is a purist on this. I mean, he is defending the rights of colleges to allow uh, even vile speech. Look, I have had the opinion of allowing colleges to allow vile speech. The problem, though, is that colleges have not been allowing vile speech. This is something that I've talked about with Professor Dershowitz before. I said, how does a guy who's, who's so pro-First Amendment like yourself or me, how do, you, how do you deal with the fact that these colleges are coming under fire for what they're allowing now students to say? And he said, it's very simple. If these colleges had been speech neutral, if they had allowed all kinds of different speech, then you could defend it and say, this is, this is what they do. They allow different opinions and they allow speech that many consider to be hate speech. But instead, they've decided what's hate speech. They have, they have learned that for themselves. It's like what my buddy Liz Wolf from Reason.com pointed out today on, on, on the platform formerly known as Twitter when she said, hate speech is a stupid concept anyway because nobody really knows what it means and, and who defines it and how you define it. It's silly to say this because people were mad that Alex Jones was back on, on Twitter. And somebody said, you know, Alex Jones peddles in hate speech. And, and Liz's point was, you should, you should allow speech that you don't like to be given a loud megaphone. This way, it will be heard. And this way, people can decide accordingly. When you make speech go underground, you actually give it more credibility. You actually give it more credence. Remember something, colleges have been deciding what is hate speech for years. They have been the ones deciding this. This is why college students overwhelmingly favor hate speech codes. For years, I've been telling you about this. The trend has been going in the opposite direction. It's, it's not been going towards free, freedom of expression. It's going the opposite. Um, and a majority of college students now or recent college graduates now on the United States of America believe there should be laws that will prosecute people for quote unquote hate speech whether it's spoken or whether it's communicated online, you should be punished if your speech is hateful. And then again, I come up as a free speech purist and say, well, who decides? Who does the deciding of what's hateful and what's not? The answer is the intelligentsia decides. They will decide. And college students have been so brainwashed to accept that, that they don't have a problem with that. They don't see that as problematic or dangerous. Much like how they don't have a problem with the government spying on them, or, or expanding government powers, expanding police state powers, because they have been brainwashed to believe that everything the government does is good. If the government needs to spy on you, it's probably for your own benefit. It's probably to stop somebody who's a domestic violent extremist from doing something hurtful to the Rainbow Coalition or something. They never, ever question authority. The idea of colleges being a place where you question authority, that went out the window sometime in the 1970s, maybe 80s. But it hasn't been like that in a long time, in a very long time. You are taught to respect authority on college campuses. You will respect my authority. You will. And that's the thing. 
and they graduate people who are like this and you wonder why government grows. You wonder why the power of the police state grows. Where's the pushback? It's not coming from people with Ivy League degrees. It's not coming from people with, with most public school degrees, public college degrees. They have just been taught to accept that if an expert like Dr. Anthony Fauci, Asanto Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor, comes out and says something, well, then it must be right because he's an expert. If the experts come out and tell us climate change is going to destroy the world, well, they must be right. They're experts. The CDC tells you masks work and you need a vaccine, and well, then they must be right. They are the experts. They, the, 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 the notion that they will challenge experts is gone. Why? Because many of the experts are the same people who are lecturing college students in their classrooms. And the revolving door between government and academia persists. So if an expert comes to teach a class or guest lecture in a class in biology, and all these people are going to make big money. I mean, Fauci's already making probably millions of dollars on the speaking circuit, and many of those speeches he's going to give are at college campuses. So, so, so the notion is not challenge authority. The notion is accept authority and accept that this is okay. And a lot of these college students then want to go get big fat paychecks at places like pharmaceutical companies who are going to pay them a ton of cash. And again, why challenge the intelligentsia? Why, why challenge these things if you know you can cash in? So you cash in and that's what happens. Here's what was said on Bill Maher's real time Friday night, cut number 11. Look, I'm always going to be on the side of as far as you can push free speech. Yep. And, and of course, as you say, there's already limits to some life speech, yeah. and violence and so forth. You fire in a crowd at that. OK, so it's not absolute. What bothers me is the double standard. Oh, my God. Yeah. That can you imagine? I mean, OK, say they don't want to say kill the Jews, mm-hmm. but I certainly have heard chanted the Jews, mm-hmm. Jews. Can you imagine saying the and any other I'm not going to say any other group because they'll, <laughs> they'll cl- clip the tape and I'll live with that forever. <laughs> but <laughs> I just, I cannot think of any other group that you oh, yeah. could say F- the blank and, and have it be acceptable. The double standards on campus, we talk about this in canceling, we talk about this at FIRE all the time, the double standards are astounding, but you have to have them be, um, uh, when you have policies like this, because if they actually enforce them against everybody, they wouldn't last a second. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I honestly think the kids, I think they're, you know that phrase, useful idiots? Yeah. <laughs> the, the bigger scandal here is that these are the biggest, most esteemed colleges in the country, and they've raised a bunch of idiots. <laughs> They've raised a bunch of idiots who are uh, who will kneel down before jackbooted thugs in government, will not question authority, will believe that science is decided by experts, but then at the same time, biology is not science. They will they will absolutely decide. They believe that there is a distinction in their ability to decide for the rest of us. I'll give you a great analogy, right? People that you argue with on social media many times, if you're a conservative, if you approach things from a conservative perspective or a libertarian perspective, how often are you insulted for your intelligence? Probably a lot, right? See, I gave up fighting with people on social media a long time ago. You know why? Because it's not worth my time. 
And immediately, they every time, almost 100% of the time, they will attack my intellect. Now, I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I'm also not the dumbest guy in the room either. I went to college. I read a book or two. I kind of know some things, but that's not the point. I, I'm not going to sit there and defend my, my, what I read or defend what I think, but they have decided that they're smarter than you and smarter than me because they've been told these things by smug elite professors for years. And they've mocked people in pickup trucks who work for a living. The guys on campus who fix their toilets and and serve them food in the cafeteria, they're mocked by elite smug professors wearing tweed jackets with patches on them. And they mock them and belittle them as idiots, Trump voting idiots, people that have to actually work for a living. So when, when it's time for the experts to tell them what to think, they don't question it because They're smarter than everybody. They're smarter than you. You just won't see it because you're an idiot. You you don't have the same enlightenment that they have at their prestigious university. You're a dummy. You 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 even though I'll tell you what, you find me a carpenter or a contractor worth his salt or her salt who doesn't know math, can't do math, can't figure out very complicated mathematical equations to make countertops fit, for example. But it doesn't matter. Or they run their own business. They hire people. They make payroll. They figure out all these things. Doesn't matter. The intelligentsia has convinced them that they, the students, they are the smart ones. And many of these people telling them that are the very same experts that will go either back to government or came from government. And this is why these students believe that government is all right and all knowing. And when an outsider gets in like a Donald Trump and starts screaming about the deep state, the intelligentsia and the college students start turning around and screaming and saying, no, 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 no. These are the these are the good people. These are the bureaucrats. These are the people that are fighting to save our country and our world. These are the people at the EPA who are pushing back on Trump's policies, the people at all these various uh, entities within the, the, the executive branch of government who are actually trying to save our country from the president of the United States. They believe these things. Fauci, the CDC, the NIH, whatever they come out, they say they're, they're dictates, they're, they're edicts. College students don't challenge them. They've, they've been conditioned to believe that these people are all-knowing and all-seeing. They are part of the Enlightenment. Matt DeSantis, you sent me a text. Uh, you, as a student of government, I mean, a student of Harvard University, you made an analogy for me. And who did you bring up? Oh, I just wanted to point out that, to your point, um, Penny Pritzker is actually the head of the 12-person Harvard Corporation, which is the group that's ultimately going to decide Claudine Gay's uh, fate as university president. And she was, of course, a former Obama administration official. She was an Obama administration official. And she's already come out and said she supports Gay. How many former Trump officials are uh, teaching at, at Ivy League schools right now? Oh, I, I imagine very few. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I get like we mentioned it last week. Elise Stefanik uh, wasn't a Trump administration official. She merely supported Trump during the 2020 election cycle. And that was enough for her to lose her senior advisory position at um, the Harvard Institute for Politics. Right. Right. So if you... It's, it's very rare that, that, that Harvard is going to bring in somebody who is uh, more conservative, more libertarian than, uh, than like, I, I should say, is going to bring in somebody who's libertarian or conservative. Because 
it would go against everything that they're preaching on a daily basis. I don't know how the hell you survived. How did you get a degree from that 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 college and not completely fall under their, their spell and their indoctrination? <laughs> I heard Ron DeSantis say that he was asked like a similar question. And uh, he said that it actually made him more conservative because he heard all of these bad ideas. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I think. Uh, something similar sort of happened. I came in with sort of a preference for libertarian uh, philosophy, and I I think the preference has uh, has only grown stronger. Uh, good. I mean, because you're one of those people that's able to think for themselves. That's the difference, though, right? No, that's very kind of you to say. Well, I'm I'm in a decent mood today, so it's the kindest <laughs> I'll be. Although I do think it was the height of arrogance for you to take Friday off to write a freaking paper. Yeah. Well, it's due tonight. I'm still working on it. I have to proofread it one more time before I submit it. It's not just a, a regular old paper, though. It's a critical literature review, so it's pretty substantial. It's like almost 30 pages. Yeah, I don't know what you just said. I, none of those words made any it's sense to me. a portion of a thesis, basically. It's all Harvard speak. I Harvard don't even speak. go to Harvard it's right now. Speak. I already graduated from there. Yeah, now it's Johns Hopkins, right? <laughs> yes. Just another, another working man university, Johns Hopkins. <laughs> God, the elitism. I, I, when Friday when we're in Cape May, can you try not to allow the, the, the smug elitism to just get on people like it's <laughs> contagious or something? I'll try not. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best, but I make no promises. We would appreciate that. Just saying. <laughs> it spreads um, like a disease throughout the, uh, <laughs> it does, it does. the Everybody's going to be an elitist by the time <laughs> leaves sitting around drinking espresso martinis. and <laughs> That's a disgusting drink if you ask me. Anyway, uh, here is uh, Al Gore. Even Al Gore uh, was surprised by Harvard's president. What are you surprised about? Half the people that you associate with, uh, they're at colleges, and these people have been saying this stuff for years. The, De- the Democrat parties embrace this. What, what about this is surprising and shocking to you, Al Gore? Cut 10. Whether or not it uh, explicitly calling for the genocide of Jews on their campus would constitute harassment, uh, and they seem to struggle with that, although the presidents of Penn and Harvard uh, issued clarifying statements. Uh, and I was wondering what your reaction to it as somebody who has been uh, a strong supporter of the Jewish community, a strong supporter of Israel, and also, uh, as I noted, a, a proud Harvard alum. Well, I was shocked uh, by the tone deafness uh, of those comments, and I think they got bad legal <laughs> advice in putting together what they were going to say. And uh, they sure, they certainly do need to clarify that. And w- we we need to uh, respect one another in our country. And when statements uh, uh, of the kind that were they were asked about come out, we need to to stand against them and stand firm as Americans for for respect for all of the communities that make up America. E pluribus unum. We need to be one country. Oh, shut up. What a talking point that is. Just condemn the hatred and shut up. And by the way, there was a uh, Harvard Crimson, uh, the Harvard Crimson, their, their newspaper, took a poll of the 2022 graduating class. Only 4% of the student body identified as Republican. Shocking. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli if you want to weigh in on everything we are discussing today. Still got a big show coming up. But guys, listen, now's the time to start thinking about how do you make her happy this Christmas? Well, you do what I did. You do what so many guys have done. In fact, it, it's, so, it's so popular that it sells out every year. I'm talking, of course, about the naturally nude pajamas from pajamagram.com. Pajamagram.com. 
I'll tell you what, these are great. These are beautiful, luxurious, soft as silk. They are better than lingerie, and she will love them. And if you order now, they're going to throw in a naturally nude nightie with your order. That's a $75 value for free. They will gift wrap it, ship it right away for you. And she'll be thrilled. It's comfortable and luxurious, so she'll feel great in it. She'll sleep great in it. And you'll feel great knowing that she looks beautiful in it. This is why it's such a popular gift and why the Naturally New Pajamas from Pajamagram.com sell out every single Christmas. So don't wait. Go to Pajamagram.com right now and order your Naturally New Pajamas. There's all kinds of different colors and styles to choose from. Uh, depending on, on what you think she'd like, she's going to look beautiful in them. And she's going to be very, very happy to have such a wonderfully luxurious feeling, comfortable uh, set of pajamas to sleep in every night. And the nighty will look great on her, and it's yours free. A $75 value at pajamagram.com. Order it today, guys. Don't procrastinate. I know it's what we do, but if you procrastinate, you're going to miss out because they'll sell out, and then you'll have ungats. You'll have nothing, as they say. Do it now, pajamagram.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All righty, it is Monday, I tell you what. It's going to be a fun week, though. I'm actually excited for the next couple weeks. I'm excited for Friday, live at the Grand Hotel of K-May, New Jersey. My happy place, of course. Excited to hang out with you there. Uh, and then next week is really our final big week before Christmas, and there'll be lots of, uh, I'll be doing some filling for the great one, Mark Levin, for Dana Lash. So we'll have a lot of fun and uh, lots of opportunities to hang out together. I'm going to get into Trump. There's a lot to talk about with former President Donald Trump regarding uh, the efforts by the special counsel now to ask the Supreme Court to weigh in on his immunity. But just to kind of kind of put a little bow on this whole issue of college campuses and how they've been used over the years. So you have to realize that the idea of, of using universities as indoctrination is something that Karl Marx wrote about in the Communist Manifesto. I mean, the idea of a, of a thorough and comprehensive public education is something Marx taught about. He talked about. He, he wrote that and believed that it was, that's, that's what the state should do. The state should use, give everyone a free, a free education and use that as the means to indoctrinate them. And they've been doing it ever since. It's not that hard to see. And there's a great piece that was written by Niall Ferguson, and he writes, The treason of the intellectuals. Anyone who has a naive belief in the power of higher education to instill morality has not studied the history of German universities in the Third Reich. In 1927, the French philosopher Julian Benda published 
the treason of the intellectuals, which condemned the descent of European intellectuals into extreme nationalism and racism. By that point, although Benito Mussolini had been in power in Italy for five years, Adolf Hitler was still six years away from power in Germany and 13 years away from victory over France. But already Benda could see the pernicious role that many European academics were playing in politics. Those who were meant to pursue the life of the mind, he wrote, had ushered in the age of the intellectual organization of political hatreds. And those hatreds were already moving from the realm of their ideas into the realm of violence with results that would be catastrophic for all of Europe. A century later, American academia has gone in the opposite political direction, leftward instead of rightward, although I would disagree with Niles on this point. I don't view Mussolini or Hitler as being on the right. I think their, their ideas are, are very much of, of the left. The question is whether we, unlike the Germans, can do something about it. I'll, I'll point something out to you too. You know, Before he was president of the United States, the worst president in American history in terms of the damage that he did, setting the stage for the fundamental change in America, Woodrow Wilson was president of Princeton University. And it was there at Princeton University that Woodrow Wilson gathered his little merry band of, of progressive kooks. They were socialists. And that's when they decided to coin the phrase progressivism because socialism had a bad rap in Europe. They all believed in it. They all liked it. And they were all anti-Semites, by the way. Huge anti-Semites and racist too. And they decided that they would just brand it differently and call it progressives. It's different from the progressivism that was echoed by Teddy Roosevelt. Completely different. It's germ. It's European socialism with a cute little word instead. And what Niles Ferguson writes about here is he says, I have marveled at the treason of my fellow intellectuals. I've also witnessed the willingness of trustees, donors, and alumni to tolerate the politicization of American universities by an illiberal, that's the opposite of, of small L liberal. Small L liberal means you are pro-freedom, you're pro-liberty. Illiberal is the opposite of that. By an illiberal coalition of woke progressives, adherents of critical race theory, and apologists for Islamist extremism. Throughout that period, friends assured me that I was exaggerating. Who could possibly object to more diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus? In any cases, weren't American universities mostly left learning? Were my concerns perhaps just another sign that I was the kind of conservative who had no real future in the academy? He, and he says, I cannot stop thinking of a Jewish friend of mine who is a graduate student at one of the Ivy League colleges. Just this week, he went to the desk assigned to him to find, carefully placed under his computer keyboard, a note with the words Zionist and then a horrible word for Jews in red and green letters. But when you hear the, the testimony from these, these college presidents, he says, the reason that Claudine Gay's carefully phrased answers on Tuesday infuriated her critics is not that they were technically incorrect, but that they were so clearly at odds with her record. Specifically, her record as Dean of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences in the years 2018 through 2022, when Harvard was sliding to the very bottom of the rankings for free speech at colleges. So remember, she was asked a question about, you know, if students are chanting from the river to the sea, uh, which, which is a sign of, uh, which is a call for genocide against Israel, basically, is that okay? And she said, well, as long as there were no threats of violence or discriminatory harassment, it really depends. The point that Niles Ferguson makes here is that you look at what Claudine Gay did when she was the dean of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, helping to bring Harvard to the very bottom of the rankings for free speech at colleges. This is what he points out. 
The killing of George Floyd happened when Gay was dean. Six days after Floyd's death, she published a statement on the subject that suggests she felt personally threatened by events in distant Minneapolis. Floyd's death, she wrote, illustrated the brutality of racist violence in this century and gave her an acute sense of vulnerability. She was reminded again how even our black Americans' most mundane activities like running can carry inordinate risk. Now, I'm sure she probably did not bring up the fact at the time that uh, when he was mayor of Braddock, PA, then mayor, now Senator John Fetterperson confronted an unarmed jogger who was black with a shotgun. I'm sure that's not one of the reasons that she pointed out. At a moment when all I want to do is gather my teenage son into my arms, I am painfully aware of how little shelter that provides. In nothing that Gay said last Tuesday did she seem aware that Jewish students might have felt the same way after October 7th and what happened in Israel. In a memorandum to faculty on August 20th, 2020, she wrote, the calls for racial justice heard in our streets also echo on our campus. As we reckon with our individual and institutional shortcomings and with our faculty's shared responsibility to bring truth to bear on the pernicious efforts of structural inequality. The moment offers a profound opportunity for institutional change that should not and cannot be squandered. I write today to share my personal commitment to this transformational project and the first steps we will take to advance this important agenda in the coming year. Now, remember I've told you, and Professor Jordan Peterson has pointed this out before. In fact, he pointed it out recently on Bill Maher's show. Colleges have set up people to believe, Heather McDonald pointed this out in a piece that I shared with you last week, that there is the oppressed and the oppressor. That is straight out of Karl Marx's playbook, right? There's the oppressor and the oppressed, and the oppressed must rise up, overthrow the oppressor, and then bring about this notion of equality, equity, etc. That's where it all comes from, that same mindset. The killing of George Floyd was just another example for them to scream about America being the oppressor and how many people in the country are oppressed by our system of capitalism, our constitution, all of the structural hierarchies and blah, 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 blah. And that college must be the place to help people see that so that they can unshackle people from the oppression. This is not new thinking, by the way. This is not new thinking. The great German sociologist Max Weber rightly argued in his 1917 essay on science as a vocation, political activism should not be permissible in a lecture hall because the prophet and the demagogue do not belong on the academic platform. This was also the argument of the University of Chicago's 1967 Calvin report that universities must maintain an independence from political fashions, passions, and pressures. This separation between scholarship and politics has been completely disregarded. Instead, our most elite schools have embraced the kind of institutional change that Harvard's president has championed. Look where it has led us. DEI, people feel walking on eggshells around each other all the time, believing that there's victims everywhere, that America is in an awful place that oppresses people, that we are no better than countries around the world, that, that even though we defeated the Nazis and, and, and actually saved Europe from the, the worst tyranny that um, the world had really ever known, we are bad. We are fundamentally bad. It's like I was, when I told you recently, I, I had an opportunity to talk to a friend of mine who told me his daughter came back from visiting Auschwitz and she came back and said, wow, I can't believe America liberated those camps. Almost like she was shocked to find that out. I mean, in all her years of public education, that really had not been driven home to her. Why not? Because in public education, in college, you're taught that America sucks. America is awful. 
And the reason why you're taught that is because the people that run colleges have a mindset of the left on the left, and they want everybody to believe that. And in order to achieve their Marxist vision, their utopia and their Marxist utopia, you have to convince everybody America is awful and then tear America down. And if you don't do those things, you can't bring about the Marxist revolution. You think I'm kidding? A hundred years ago in the 1920s, by far the best universities in the world were in Germany. By comparison with Heidelberg and uh, Tübingen, pardon it saying that right, Harvard and Yale were gentlemen's clubs where students paid more attention to football than to physics. More than a quarter of all the Nobel Prizes awarded to the sciences between 1901 and 1940 were awarded to Germans. Only 11% went to Americans. Albert Einstein reached the pinnacle of his profession in 19, not in 1933 when he moved to Princeton, but from 1914 to 1917 when he was appointed professor at the University of Berlin, director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Physics and as a member of the Prussian Academy of Sciences. Even the finest scientists produced by Cambridge felt obligated to do a tour of duty in Germany. Yet the German professoriate had a fatal weakness. For reasons that may be traced back to the foundation of, the, um, of, of the, the government that preceded the Reich, or perhaps even further into Prussian history, academically educated Germans were unusually ready to prostrate themselves before a charismatic leader, in the belief that only such a leader could preserve the purity of the German nationalist project. Today's progressivism engages in racism in the name of diversity. The nationalist academics of interwar Germany were at least overt about their desire for homogeny and exclusion. Now think about this, right? All those um, Jewish professors, people like Einstein and others, they would eventually be forced to flee Germany. And they would, many of them go to Oxford and they would come to the United States of America. They would ultimately help us build the bomb. They would, they would help Robert Oppenheimer. If you haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, you really should. It's an excellent movie. Um, they, they helped. I mean, they, they were helped. They were refugees and they helped. Why? Because when the, when the Nazis took over, they used universities as the linchpin to convince everybody that the Jews were the problem, that what they needed was a strong, centralized government with one true leader, one pure race, and that became what colleges started teaching. And it wasn't just there. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just a matter of the fact of this, this fall of German universities under Hitler. Hitler's anti-Semitism was something that German academics embraced and they were pushing for it. And so Jewish people had to leave colleges in Germany. On March 10th, 1933, it's astounding how easily everything collapses. Wild prohibitions and acts of violence, and with it on streets and radio, never-ending propaganda. On Saturday, I heard a part of Hitler's speech in the East Prussian University at which Immanuel Kant had spent his life. I understood only a few words, but the tone, bawling, truly bawling. How long will I retain my professorship? One of them asked. Not long. He managed to hang on to it for two years, and then he was out. On Tuesday morning, without any previous notification, two sheets delivered by post on the basis of PARA 6 of the Law for the Restoration of the Professional Civil Service, I have recommended your dismissal. Now, the Nazis' anti-Semitism, of course, led to one of the greatest brain drains in history. Over 200 of the country's 800 Jewish professors departed, of whom 20 were Nobel laureates. Albert Einstein had already left in 1933 in disgust at Nazi attacks on his Jewish physics. The exodus quickened after the pogrom known as the Night of Broken Glass in November of 1938. The principal beneficiaries of the Jewish, Jewish brain drain were, of course, the universities of the United States. 
Now, don't forget something, though. Years later, many, many years later, we in the United States would start bringing Nazi scientists over here in what was known as Operation Paperclip. In fact, since I'll give you my daily superhero analogy, in the movie Captain America, The Winter Soldier, the um, Professor Arlen Zola comes out in a, in a hologram to tell Captain America that they decided that when people tried to rise up against tyranny, well, when tyranny happened, people would rise up against it. But if you can convince people to give up their freedom in the name of safety and preventing them and protecting them from chaos, they would do it almost voluntarily. So that's what they did. They brought all these Nazis back in Operation Paperclip. They brought them back. And a lot of these people went on to teach at universities in the United States of America. They went on to teach there. And then also, of course, they would, they would bring forth their ideas. Maybe they would hide their anti-Semitism or hide their belief in a, in a pure race. But they would certainly be very vocal about their belief in what the intellectual elites knew and what the peasants didn't. And they would push that forward. So this idea of academia being used as a place for politics to brainwash the masses, to affect political change, has had disastrous results, whether it was Woodrow Wilson or whether it's what the, what the Nazis did or whether it's what the progressives are doing today on college campuses. It's the same thing. And so you don't have competing ideas. You don't have debate. You have indoctrination. And that's the situation. And that's where we are today. And now all of it's playing out on camera. And these colleges are guilty of being the bastions of indoctrination and not the bastions of free expression. That is why they're being called out today because it's so blatant everybody can see it. Listen, Dr. Mike Venaria will give you a beautiful smile. How about this Christmas season? You do something special for yourself. You give yourself the gift of a beautiful smile. I'm talking about if you need complicated dental implants, for example, complicated dental work, he's the guy. Dr. Mike, a great guy, a great friend. And yes, he's my dentist. People ask him all the time, Rich, does Rich really come here? Yes, I go there. And so does my entire family, including, of course, Mama Zioli. Patients travel from all over for the great work of Dr. Mike Venaria because he excels in giving people the beautiful smiles they deserve. So what are you waiting for? Reach out to him today and schedule your free consultation. If you've had a quote for complicated dental work, such as implants, get a second opinion. Pain-free root canal treatment, cosmetic dentistry, pediatric in general, it's all there for you and your family with Dr. Mike Venaria. But where he excels, what really sets him apart is the fact that he is the master of dental implants, complicated dental implants, and if you need them, reach out to them today. VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. Now, um, interestingly enough, Matt DeSantis, I have another story here. I have no idea how we can actually do it on the show, though. However, uh, I assume you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not actually certain what you're talking about. You'll have to explain it. Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, uh, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Allegedly caught in a hot mic using the bathroom <laughs> during a wild Elon Musk, Alex Jones live stream. <laughs> Forgot to turn his mic off. Now, we cannot play that sound on the air. No, I, I thought about grabbing the clip, but I'm pretty certain that's an FCC violation. A hundred percent FCC violation. We would get fined, and the program director slash Darth Stalker slash co-host of Kale & Company, Greg Stalker, would be very unhappy with us. And more importantly, 
I really don't want to hear Vivek Ramaswamy going to the bathroom. You don't want to hear that sound of splashing liquid. <laughs> no, not at all. I can imagine what it sounds like. Can, I, I don't can need you, it. Is it. Is it possible we can just get the part where Alex Jones yells, someone's got their thing on peeing, someone's got their phone on in the bathroom? Probably not, right? No, because I'm pretty sure you can hear the actual, uh, you know, what's going on in the bathroom over the, the screams to turn off the mic. And Ramaswamy admitted, he said, because Musk said, I hope you feel better now. He said, I feel great. Thank you. Sorry about that, guys. I mean, look, it's not as bad as pulling a tubing. <laughs> oh, right? Not even close. No, I mean, you know, he, he, so the guy, he took a whiz. Like, all right. You know what I mean? Like, like, big deal. It wasn't exactly like he whipped it out like Jeffrey Tubin did and proceeded to turn his body into an amusement park in front of uh, the guys on the call, right? No, and to be clear, this was audio only. It was right. There was no video whatsoever. Right, and this is why the rule is: I always keep a big Gatorade bottle next to me at all times during the show because you can mute it a lot better. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just gross. <laughs> that's so disgusting. But that's so disgusting. Uh, the best comment I saw was uh, somebody said Ramaswamy was literally draining the swamp. Oh, that's pretty funny. good. That's pretty good. I like that. Literally draining the swamp. Very good. Now, did you did you watch the Saturday Night Live skit about the colleges? Uh, I only watched it because I had to grab audio for the show. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It is so cringeworthy. Did you see it, Henry? No, I, for that reason alone. Like I heard, it was just incredibly cringeworthy. So I I, I wanted no part of it. Cringe cringeworthy no doubt about it all right here is uh, a little bit of that skit just so you can understand how cringeworthy worthy it is and cecily strong apparently who's one of the actresses in saturday Night live was uncomfortable as she was originally going to play elise stefanik and she backed out at the last minute according to a source she was uncomfortable with the portrayal of this whole ordeal she's 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 actually one of the more talented people on that show and she backed out According to the story from the New York Post, she was uncomfortable with the sketch, which I think proceeded to mock those who think that these college presidents are, in fact, allowing vile anti-Semitism to be shared on their campuses. And here's a little bit of it. Take a listen. Mr. Stefanik. Thank you, chairwoman. Now, I'm going to start screaming questions at these women like I'm Billy Eichner. <laughs> Anti-Semitism, yay or nay? I'm sorry, what? Yes, I know. It's calling for the genocide of Jews against the Code of Conduct for Harvard. Well, it depends on the context. <gasps> what? <laughs> that can't be your answer, you pen lady. Same question, yes or no? Well, we are serious about stopping all forms of hatred, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. Not the second one. MIT lady, chance to steal. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're going to make me look good, which is really, really hard to do. So I'll ask you straight up. Do you think genocide is bad? Could I submit an answer in writing at a later date? <laughs> Am I winning this hearing? <laughs> Somebody pinch me. <laughs> Ms. Stefanik, your time is up. Oh, thank God. The chair, the chair recognizes gentlemen from Michigan. Thank you. I yield my time back to Miss Stefanik. Damn it! I am here today because hate speech has no place on college campuses. Hate speech belongs in Congress, on Elon Musk's Twitter, in private dinners with my donors, and in 
public speeches by my work husband, Donald Trump. <laughs> so, Dr. Gay, simple question. Is it acceptable for students to use anti-Semitic language? On this subject, I'd like to speak not from the heart, but from the thesaurus. <laughs> that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And could you rephrase that in an even more academic way? Sure. That variety of odious oration is vis-a-vis -vis me repugnant. <laughs> now, what measures are you taking to protect Jewish students at Harvard? Anyway, it's a stupid, it's not funny, and, and, and obviously they use it as an opportunity not to mock the college campus presidents for being so, uh, just a horrible performance by them. I mean, horrible. I, I, being tone deaf and their message being off. They use it, like you'd expect, to mock Trump, mock Republicans, Mock Twitter, Elon Musk. I mean, you know, the usual stuff right there, which is why everybody knows, you know, the show is just not funny. All right, coming up, the economy's not funny either. Is this the worst time to buy a house? Apparently it is. We'll talk to economist EJ and Tony about this. Plus, how bad does it get for Joe Biden when he has to bring the big guns of Hillary Clinton in to save his campaign? 30 minutes of nonstop talk coming up straight ahead for you. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.